let me let me read your uh, an introduction here for you. <coughs> I do have a, a small biography um, uh, here. Uh, Dr. David K. Bernard uh, is the general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International, um, which has 5.5 million constituents in 43,000 43, churches in 199 nations and 39 territories. He founded New Life Church of Austin, Texas, out of which 16 additional churches were started under his leadership. He was the founding president and currently is the chancellor of Urshan College and Urshan Graduate School of Theology. He earned the Master and Doctor of Theology in New Testament from the University of South Africa, Doctor of Jurisprudence with honors from the University of Texas, and Bachelor of Arts Magna Cum Laude in Mathematical Sciences and Managerial Studies from Rice University. Uh, he's the author of 30 books with a circulation of over 1 million. He has been published in 42 languages and has ministered in 80 countries on six continents. His he and his wife, Connie, have three children and six grandchildren. Uh, Dr. Bernard, we are so glad, we're so honored uh, to have you here with us today. Um, really um, yeah, very rare that we get to speak to someone to your caliber, really, in our podcast. But um, we do believe it's the will of God that you're here with us today, and we're so thankful. Um, just a background, it's, it's, it's geared towards young adults who are desiring ministry. So serious young adults who are pursuing God and are very interested in growing in their walk with God and just simply doing the will of God for their lives. And, and I did send you a few questions, and I guess we can start off um, uh, with these questions and just see where the Holy Ghost leads us uh, in, in discussion here today. Um, if you can, uh, Brother Bernard, uh, describe uh, your beginning in ministry um, and uh, whether there were critical moments in your life uh, that helped define your call and passion for the kingdom of God. Thank you um, very much for this opportunity. I do think it's significant to talk to um, young men and women uh, who feel a call to ministry, whether it's a call to preach or a call to leadership in the church. So let me give you a little bit of my background. I was raised in Korea. My parents were the pioneer missionaries of the United Pentecostal Church International to that country. Uh, and I grew up uh, there to, at age 17. I graduated from high school came back to the U.S. to go to college. Uh, so my goal was to excel in a career. I didn't feel a call to preach. I did you know, feel a burden to work for the Lord. So I went to my undergraduate, and then I felt like I would become a lawyer, so I went to law school for the purpose of becoming a lawyer. So during that time, I wasn't preparing for any kind of a preaching or pulpit ministry, but I was very actively involved in the church, both as an undergraduate and a graduate student. Um, I was involved in Sunday school, youth ministry, various forms of outreach such as campus, nursing home, taught a lot of Bible studies, uh, even did a little bit of lay preaching in our Spanish church and different things like that. But I was focused on becoming a lawyer and uh, developing a career and serving in the church and supporting the church and so on. Uh, but my last year of law school, and that summer, I was employed in Beaumont, Texas, uh, with a, a, a firm, a law firm, 
that was looking to hire someone after graduation. So I went there for the possibility of, of maybe uh, working there. And um, I thought, well, if I'm going to move here, I need to visit the churches in the city and make some decision about where I'd like to go. And so when they found out I was in law school and uh, some of the pastors knew my home pastor back in Austin, Texas, and they knew I'd been involved there, I'd actually taught the whole church uh, 10 weeks of Search for Truth as a means of preparing them to teach Bible studies on their own, which I'd done a lot of. And so anyway, when I visited these churches, one church wanted me to speak to their youth group about um, career planning, the will of God, and then another church heard that I'd spoken for that church, so they wanted me to speak for their youth, and another church wanted me to teach the Bible study series uh, on the midweek service. Um, and then another church that I spoke at wanted me to speak again in their Sunday night service. So wow. anyway, I was very actively involved. So yeah. my last night before going back to Austin to finish my last year of law school, I was praying, seeking God and wondering, you know, would I consider a job here? Do I want to accept this offer? I had a lot of other law firms that had contacted me mm. and uh, they wanted to set up interviews. So I had I had law firms from Austin, Houston, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, you know, different places. So I was just trying to think through my options and pray. Mm. And uh, I realized um, as I was praying that every day I would go to law, to the law firm, do my work, rush to come home, change clothes, get ready for church, and go speak somewhere. Yeah. And God brought my attention to Colossians 4.17 which I'd read the Bible through a number of times. I didn't remember this verse. And it said uh, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church of Colossae, and he said, Tell Archippus to take heed to the ministry that he's received in the Lord, that he fulfill it. And I felt like the Lord was speaking directly to me at that moment, saying, You did not come here to pursue a ministry. You came here to pursue a law career. And you know, over the years, people had said, oh, you're going to be a preacher like your dad. You know, you're going to be a missionary like your mom and dad. And yeah. I'd always said, no, you know, God would have to call me. Yeah. I, I knew too much the commitment, the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. right. It's not yeah. that I was unwilling or running away. It's just that it was unless serious. you unless yeah. you actually felt a call, you should yeah. just not, you should not pursue this because it's a family business or because other people think you might be good at it. Yeah. You you have to know for yourself that this is what God is wanting you to do. So I felt the Lord at that moment say, you have not pursued uh, the pulpit ministry, preaching ministry. You did not come here to Beaumont to pursue that. You came to pursue law. But look, and when I thought about it, in that 11 weeks, I had preached or mm. taught lessons mm -hmm. in church 21 times yeah. in 11 wow. weeks. So if I'd come as a preacher giving my card to everybody, right. I probably wouldn't have gotten that many opportunities. Yeah. So I felt the Lord saying, you know, you did not seek this, but I'm wow. the one who's giving it to you. So therefore you need to fulfill it. So at that moment, I accepted my call to preach. I felt it was only right that I should finish, finish law school because I felt like God had led me to do that. And so it'd be foolish to go six years to college and then quit. So I did finish the seventh year. I did uh, take the bar exam and pass it and became a lawyer. But from that night, you know, I didn't accept any other interviews for, for law firms, but I just made up my mind. I'm, I'm going to preach. And perhaps in retrospect, it was a little naive because, 
Um, I just expected that I would go full-time in ministry when I graduated for, from law school. And as yeah. it turned out, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Wow. Now, it, it's, it's so interesting how, how your life has developed, and I think it's something that uh, young adults who are desiring ministry can learn from. You went to Texas to pursue a career. Yes. But somehow God utilized that desire that you thought was for one thing and shifted it towards ministry and shifted it towards, uh, and I can imagine when you first went to Texas, you could have never imagined that God would call you into to ministry. Um, and uh, in many ways, that's, uh, that's uh, a lot of young adults are in that position right now where they can't see uh, their future. It's just scary, or perhaps it, they don't even think it includes uh, ministry. Um, uh, and uh, they're being challenged by their life. And, and, and in many ways, you just have to trust that God is going to guide their every step. Yes, I, I would say, based on my experience, and of course, not just that one experience, but I think the, the most important thing in the will of God is do what you know to do now. Yeah, okay. And be involved, uh, you know, have a relationship with God through prayer, study the word, being faithful to church. Be involved in reaching souls, sharing your testimony, uh, being involved in outreach, being involved in discipleship. Yeah. Do what you know to do. Today, yeah. Uh, don't sit around waiting for the will of God to unfold. Mm, Be mm-hmm. active. And as yeah. you're active, then God will open the right doors. God will direct your steps. Yeah. Uh, don't be in intimidated or be in fear of what it might be right. because it will unfold. And mm. you might not be able to see it now, which mm. is why God usually doesn't give us a complete picture way in advance because we probably couldn't handle it. Either we would get so proud and arrogant <laughs> that we would miss it or we would be so fearful and timid that we would miss it. So that's my main point is, you know, be, do what you know to do now and God will open doors. The the second thing I would also say, if you do feel a call to preach, of course, fulfill your ministry. um, But don't try to plan a career in ministry. Mm -hmm. Don't say, well, Mm -hmm. if I do this and I'll lead to that and Mm -hmm. that lead to that and I'll get this position and that position. I don't think we should try to do that. I think if we pursue God's will wholeheartedly where we are, then God will give us the next step and then we can pursue it. Yeah, you know, and and just uh, skipping ahead to a question that's very similar to that last point that you just made. Uh, Often in ministry, young ministers, they feel anxious to catch up to others who it seems like they are pursuing fast and uh, doors are being opened for them here and there, or perhaps there is a sentiment that they have a family and they have a family here and family there, and they're helping them open doors. Um, and there's sometimes anxiety in young uh, ministers to try to catch up. Um, are there some problems that are inherent with that mindset um, and perhaps some pitfalls that you can give to young ministers to, to be careful not to give themselves to that, that, that mindset? Well, Second Corinthians 10, 12 tells us that when we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're not wise. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we've got to be careful that we don't try to compare ourselves and either to say, hey, I'm further along this person or, oh, I'm not nearly as far along as that person. You don't really know. And uh, while, sure, iron sharpens iron, so it's great to have friends 
Uh, and if you feel called to ministry, it's good to have friends in ministry yeah. that you can compare notes or you can compare visions and dreams. But we should be careful to avoid competition. That's right. not healthy. Yeah. And be careful of judging ourselves by someone else. We have to follow the will of God for ourselves. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I was 11 years in full-time ministry before I became a pastor. Mm. So at that time, particularly, uh, many people who are called to preach, especially if they were full-time, uh, the goal was to be a pastor. And people even told me at different points, why aren't you a pastor yet? Uh, but I had to follow the path that I felt God had chosen for me. And when I did start a church, my wife and I started a church, we were able to grow it in retrospect rather rapidly. And then mm -hmm. some people have tried to imitate that. They say, well, if Brother Bernard right. can do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, but wow. they don't know I had full time, 11 years of full-time right. ministry. It didn't start And from I had a lot of yeah. a variety of experiences yeah. growing up on the mission field. Mm -hmm. You know, all my life, my parents are either home missionaries or foreign missionaries. So, you know, even if... So if I had compared myself to someone else, I yes. might have felt like I was lagging behind. On the other hand, somebody later might compare themselves to me, uh, would have false expectations of how easy it might be to grow a church so rapidly and so large. But you can't do that. You yeah. have to be faithful to your own calling. Yeah. Each person is unique. And while it's great uh, for other people's ministries to challenge you and motivate you and encourage you, you have to forge your own path with God. You have to hear from God for yourself, and you have to have a certain inner confidence that I'm in the will of God and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. If you don't have that confidence, then pray and prepare yourself mm -hmm. and seek the open door so you can have that confidence. Yeah. And then if someone else seems to be much uh, farther along than you are, don't worry about it because that's only in the surface. Jesus said, Speaking ultimately of the judgment, many that are first shall be last, the last shall be first. And so it's not the person that starts off, it's yeah. the person that finishes. And so it's just not wise in the interim to try to compare your ministry to someone else's ministry. God is giving you your own ministry, mm -hmm. and you're not required to be, quote, successful as the world counts success or even as we might in church. So we, if you're a pastor, you might say, well, what size of church do you have? What kind of building you have? How much income yeah. is coming in the church? How much income are you getting? Or how many people right. are being baptized? And while I, I do believe in measurements to try to evaluate your progress, we can't use those as a means of self-worth. Yeah. And that can't be the primary means of of judging the our ministry because God doesn't call us to be successful, so to speak. He calls us to be faithful. Yeah. So we have to be faithful to what he's called us to do. And the reward in the end, as you see in the parables, Matthew 25, is well done, good and faithful servant. So you did what I called you to do. So whether your ministry seems small or large or the church you're working in is small or large or your the ministry that you're involved in is well known or not well known, that's not really the criteria that you should look at. It's have I fulfilled the assignment that God gave me? Mm. Am I doing it to the best of my ability? Mm. Am I being faithful at my post of duty? That's what the Lord expects. Yes. And there's something special that happens in those hidden years, isn't there? I mean, uh, you know, going back to your story, 
in Korea, right? It, that those years, uh, do eleven years in full time ministry before going into pastorship. Uh, there are things that happen in the secret that were fundamental to what other people would deem success, right? Um, and I think that's 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 the thing we need to recognize when we are in those moments where God is still developing us, and this is still contributing to where God wants to take us in the future. Yes. I say there are really no shortcuts in ministry. Mm. So whether you think about developing your ministry or you think about maybe planting a church or growing a church, you look at someone else and they might have rapid success. Well, what, what you don't know is there's going to have to be a lot of follow-up to consolidate that success. Yeah. So th- there really is no shortcut. So it may take you a long time, for example, to grow a church, but you're you're discipling people in the meantime, so that growth is going to be solid. Yeah. Um, if you have quick results, great. We we rejoice over that. But you're going to have to take a lot of hard work to consolidate that, yeah. those results. Yeah. So mm. I look at it that way. Um, you can't just watch part of someone's trajectory. Yeah. They're going to have to what sh- what shall I say? Pay the price, or they're going to have to do the hard work yeah. sooner or later, somewhere along the line, yeah, you good. may not see it, yeah. but it's going to be there. Yeah. That's good. So, so they either grow quickly and uh, have to tie up the loose ends on the back end mm. or they grow slowly, but it's steady. Mm. Yes. Okay. And that's really powerful. So tying back to something you said, I think is really insightful. When you talk about longevity and ministry, you were talking about faithfulness as someone who's witnessed every region in the United Pentecostal Church, what is the quality that you have witnessed among young ministers that has developed into longevity in ministry? Because there's lots of uh, shooting stars that Mm -hmm. go around the circuit, and I'm sure you've witnessed that closer than anybody. What is the quality that you've seen personally that develops ministry in longevity, not necessarily just momentary? Well, I think it's some of what I've already described. Uh, first of all, it may not be something that's easily seen from the outside, but this quality of faithfulness. So not so much oriented towards success, although obviously we always want good results and we want them as quickly as possible. I'm not against that, but it has to be the Lord doing it. So I think the quality of faithfulness, that you're not just focused on results or visibility or acclaim, you're focused on doing the will of God at that point in your life. And that means you may forego some opportunities because they don't fit the vision that God has given you. So I think faithfulness, and then you mentioned the term longevity. Well, truthfully, uh, a big component of long-term success is spending lots of time in one place, in Mm, one endeavor. That's very important. So if you look at the history of large churches, Typically, there is a pastor who's been there many years, yeah. um, and some churches do grow overnight, seemingly, but if you look back later, sometimes, though, and I'm not just talking about UPCI, but a lot of those same churches collapse overnight right. yeah. or when there's a transition. But if you want to look at solid churches yeah. uh, that have grown and have maintained their growth, you look at a pastor who's been there. 10, 20, right. 30, 40 years. So just the longevity in your place of ministry is a key component of long-term success. Yeah, and you know, it, it just my mind is 
thinking all over the place right now because you said some really important principles that are just bringing some thoughts to my mind. When it comes to that, spending a lot of time in one place and churches that grow overnight and sometimes fizzle out and other churches that are solid, it seems like, I mean, that makes so much sense because large churches who have spent a long time just chipping away at ministry in their city usually have a lot of backsliders that still live in that city. And those backsliders have families. And they may have left the church at one point, but they know where to go when they're in trouble. And so there's investment in that one place. There's something special about a young minister being involved in that organic process of ministry. Yes, and building influence takes time. So, in, okay. uh, so again, thinking about a church, um, and I look back when we started the church in Austin, some of the first contact, early contacts I made in some of the early Bible studies, they didn't pay off until five years later. Mm. So I remember one young woman who came when our church might have been a couple years old. She went to a whole Bible study, seemed very excited, but then just dropped away. We never were able to convert her. Five years later, she yeah. comes back. Yeah. Now she's married. Now she's ready to settle down. And then the whole family is baptized, receives the Holy Ghost. But it was an effort five years <coughs> yeah. earlier. Yeah. And then also what you find by staying in one place and working faithfully over time, there are multiple connections. So what we started seeing in our church is uh, maybe just hypothetically, maybe uh, here, here's a person that um, a coworker was in our church and they witnessed to him, but didn't seemingly have a result. Yeah. You know, two years later, a neighbor moves to them. It goes to our church, yeah. makes a connection. Maybe a year later, a nephew or a cousin yeah. receives the Holy Ghost. And, and so that person may have had two or three or four connections yeah. before they finally respond. Yeah. So if you're trying to just do a quick work, you're not able to have those multiple connections. Right. Yeah. Right. But as you do a long-term work, then those connections just naturally build up yeah. and they become more effective. Yeah. So not only in the case of backsliders, but in the case of visitors mm. or acquaintances mm. or people associated with the church. And there are certain people, they just want to watch and see the life of the church or the life of an individual. And they're not so quick to respond, but after several years, uh, they're ready to respond. I remember yeah. one woman came to our church uh, and um, and was faithful, but uh, she had a daughter that she kept w witnessing to. And finally, the daughter said, well, when they when you build your building, I'll come to the first service. So that was four years later. Yeah. She came in that first service. She received the Holy Ghost. Wow. But it took time. Yeah. It, it took a faithful presence, a yeah. faithful witness. Yeah. And that does something to a minister when they see that process, you know. Uh, and maybe that's why it's so important for a young minister to stay, stay where God has placed you. Because it, it gives you, I feel like it gives you a certain strong fabric to stick it out, stick the will of God out. Now, I will say, obviously, especially in, in a young minister, not only young minister, but there are times of transition. There are seasons where God may place you here for time and right. then okay. prepare you and send you somewhere else. So I'm not saying you should never make a right. change. Yeah. Maybe you'll change the focus of your ministry, or maybe you'll change the physical location of your ministry. Right. But I'm just saying, in answer to the question, if you want to step back and see the greatest results, mm. it's when a person's been faithful at their post of duty. And so right. 
you're not just jumping to the next greatest opportunity. Right. So you're, you're, so you're, discouragement is never a good reason to right, move. Right. You should never move from something. You should move to something. That's, That's good. Mm-hmm. So Unpack that a little bit. That, that yeah. sounds. So, so there, there's, as I said, there are times of change, but they should be strategic. They mm-hmm. should be okay. intentional. And I'm not talking about you planning your career. I'm talking about you feeling God is leading you to the next level of ministry or development. So that's perfectly in order. And I'll go back to my own example. I started full-time ministry. I worked at Jackson College of Ministries for five years. And I, I was prepared to be there indefinitely, but circumstances took place to, to make me realize the change was coming. So then I was asked to be the associate editor uh, in, at our headquarters, and I served there six years. But in the back of my mind, I had the goal of starting a church or mm-hmm. taking a small church. So I knew that was only for a season. I didn't know how long it would be. And then, again, circumstances developed that, that my wife and I both felt a change is coming. Now is the time. So we went to Austin to start a church. We were going to be there the rest of our ministry. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't planning anything else. Yeah. As it turned out, we were there 18 years, and we grew the church from our home our living room to uh, approximately a thousand people uh, on our attendance roll and 16 other churches with probably another thousand people on the total constituents of a couple thousand or more. But um, even then, and and I resigned that because I was elected as general superintendent, but that wasn't really in my plan. plan, You know, I was really going to be there the rest of my ministry. Mm -hmm. So, even when there's a change, you don't go there looking for something better. Yeah. You go there indefinitely to do the will of God yes. and to pursue it. And then God can change you or God can open the right door. But I mentioned a moment ago, you don't go from something, you go to something. So you don't leave just because circumstances aren't good. Yeah. Even if circumstances aren't good, you want to feel like there's a positive direction. Yes. So if you don't have a positive direction, I would say kind of try to stick it out as long as you can until you feel a different direction. And I'll also say this. Sometimes there is what I call holy dissatisfaction. So I've talked to uh, particularly a young minister, but it wouldn't wouldn't always have to be a young minister. And they say, you know, I'm in a good church. I'm doing a work for God, but this is wrong and that's wrong. and, And I don't feel comfortable and this and that. And then they might even start being critical. I say, oh, wait a minute. You know, you don't have to pick a fight with something. Yeah, There may be nothing wrong with that church or that pastor, but it could be God is causing you to feel dissatisfied because he's trying to move you to the next level. Okay. So whether it's a new level of ministry or a new location, there, there comes a time in your life what you're doing no longer satisfies. Mm-hmm. And it could be you're getting cold and you're not praying right, and you're... Yeah you're 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 getting critical and yeah. bitter or whatever but it could mean that god is stirring you up, up. Yeah. god is trying to kick you out of the nest right uh, so you have to discern if it's um you know just my own carnal thinking or my own impatience or my own critical spirit or is you know what i was doing i felt fulfilled i felt in the will of god i felt anointed but I reached my maximum potential yeah. and now God's stirring me up right, there's a shift, and yeah. say, get out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm right. kicking you out of the nest so you can fly. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Was that your experience when you, in each area, it seems that they were encapsulated by success. There were successful moments, but even in the midst of 
outward success did you feel that divine discontentment yes yes i would say i would say that was the case yes and uh, even even when i launched ministry went into full-time ministry the pastor that i was working under was wanted to offer me a, a position uh, to assist so in some capacity once he felt once he realized i was called to preach but i just felt like no it's time to leave the situation altogether and as i said the the different moves that i made i didn't go there with the idea of leaving i yeah. went there the idea of investing but then either circumstances or internal feeling builds up to the point it's time for a change yeah and i was married so i think your your spouse is an important component of that it should be something you feel together right and i, I feel like this is a very important question because there is a number of ministry who feel discontent and I guess my question for you is, how would you give wisdom to those people that are able to maybe decipher between divine discontent and simply uh, there's dysfunction and disorder going yes, on yes. in the local church? Well, um, you know, let, let me give you a broader answer and then come back. So I tell everyone who is feeling a call to preach or maybe feeling a call to preach or already started ministry, there are four things you need to focus on. The first thing is your personal spiritual disciplines, your own prayer life, reading and study of God's word, faithfulness to church, tithes and offerings, outreach, you know, personal evangelism. The second one is more specifically outreach. Ministry is about souls. So you should be involved in some uh, means of trying to win new souls, whether it's teaching a Bible study or whether it's some specific outreach endeavor, whether it's just your personal testimony, inviting people to church. Third thing is inreach. So just like you should have a burden for winning people, you should have a burden for discipling people. So if you feel, really feel called to preach, ministry is more about people than it is about speaking. So that's why I say the emphasis on outreach, emphasis on inreach. That is, what, what about the people that are on the fringes? What about the new convert? What about the person who's becoming inconsistent, backsliding? What about the person maybe of another race or ethnicity who doesn't seem to have any close connections? What about the person that doesn't seem to have friends? So what about the person's praying at the altar? Who's going to pray with them? And who's going to keep praying, you know? Um, and so you have a burden for people who mm -hmm. are in the church mm -hmm. but need to be strengthened. And then fourth is speaking. So you need to find opportunities for exercising your pulpit ministry. So focus on those four, four things in developing your ministry. Now, to go back to your question, so what if you're feeling discontent? I would go back to the four, those four areas. Are you faithful in prayer? Yeah. Are, are you helping to win souls? Are you helping to disciple souls? Um, are you getting opportunities to speak? If you're not, then maybe you need to strengthen whichever area you're weak in before you are discontent and decide to make a change. Try to maximize your potential where you are. Yeah. And so maybe if you renew your prayer life, uh, you're content. Maybe if you win a soul, you're content. Maybe if you're helping new people and you're making a difference in their lives, you feel fulfilled. Yeah. So so work on those four areas first before you suddenly decide this is not a good situation. Then I would say talk to your pastor, talk mm -hmm. to your spiritual leader, and be honest and share at least your feeling to some extent. Maybe he senses that it's time for you to be released. Or maybe he senses you need to correct some things. Yeah. You know, maybe he knows what's going on. Yeah. And uh, whether it's uh, positive, yes, I'm ready to 
give you something new that will challenge you or negative, well, you're not being faithful. You need to work on some things. Yeah. Uh, your spiritual, your pastor, and there may be some other spiritual leaders or mentors that you're yeah. working under. Yeah. So I would always involve them in the process. Now, after all of that, if there seems to be no good reason uh, for your discontent, then it may be God is trying to close one door so he can open one another door. Yeah. But I, but I would say, you know, explore that. Um, I'll give you an illustration. So my long-term assistant pastor, Rodney Shaw, he came to work with us in a very small. He was already in the area, and uh, he wanted a place to work. And so I asked him to come for six months. After six months, I said, look, I'll make you assistant to the pastor, but I can only give you $100 a month housing allowance. If the church grows, your housing allowance will grow. If the church doesn't grow, it won't grow. But if you'd like to help. And uh, then, of course, the church grew, so we made him assistant pastor uh, part-time, and then we made him full-time, and then later I made him associate pastor. Um, At each level, his ministry was growing. Well, somewhere in that time, he talked to me, and he said, you know, I just feel like, you know, many of my peers, they're already pastoring, and I just feel maybe I need to be doing this, and I've gotten some opportunities. I said, look, um, you should explore those because mm-hmm. I don't want you to be here because you have nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you should go preach for some church and, and pray and see if, you know, you should be the pastor. But I said, if yeah. you feel God's telling you to stay here, I'll try to increase your ministry as much as possible. Because after all, our church is is bigger. You're getting more pastoral experience than most pastors. <laughs> Because mm, uh, you're, yeah. you're dealing with hundreds of people. With people yeah. And so, as I said, we made him associate pastor, uh, which gave more responsibility, almost like a co-pastor in the sense I shared almost everything with him as far as plans and working with people and so forth. Um, and then the last few years, uh, I didn't change the title anymore from associate pastor, but he he became basically executive pastor where the various ministries report to him instead of me. And then we started our our last building program. I made him the the chair of the building um, committee, or the and uh, I, I dealt with the um, the banks with financing and so forth. But he dealt with the architect and the engineer and the construction manager. My point is, I gradually increased his role every time he said, "You know, I yeah. I feel like." I need to go to the next level. I tried to bring him to the next level. Mm-hmm. But finally, at some point, as I said, I said, look, you, you need to, if there, there's a church open, you need to go preach and feel if God is telling you to take it. And yeah. I'm not trying to push you away, but you need to explore that. Or I said, if you feel led to start a church, I'll support you. If you want to start a daughter work in this area and we'll assign some people to you and, you know, I'll support you. But after all that, he came back and said, Brother Bernard, God will not release me from Austin. He mm. said, I feel like I need to grow more, but I can't, I can't leave. Wow. So I said, well, I'll just try to grow your your pastoral ministry here. Of course, yeah. it was only two or three years later I was elected general superintendent, and then he was glad he stayed because wow. he became the next pastor. Yeah, but he didn't know that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. And I was 52 when I was elected general superintendent, so I wasn't planning on a transition anytime yeah. soon. Yeah. So um, there's an example where he had that holy dissatisfaction, mm-hmm. but it wasn't for him to leave. Yeah. Wow. It was 
for a door to open that yeah. none of us knew would open. Wow, wow. That's, that's very tremendous. powerful. Yeah, that's see those those real life examples brings it down to earth for us uh, in a narrative form. It really makes it relatable. Uh, and just circling back on that same kind of method here, um, is have you ever gone through a transition where God he transitioned you into a new season, but everything on the outside from from human logic it seemed like it was a mistake, you know? Because I'm thinking about sometimes how the will of God it just doesn't make sense sometimes, and when you're in it, you say. Did I make a mistake? Uh, some co- it seems like consequences that I didn't intend are going to happen as a result of me just following the will of God. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Well, I will say this. Every move, you know, my wife and I prayed until, and we looked at the pros and cons and we asked for confirmation until we felt pretty strong about each step. But I can give you maybe some illustrations one, when I was uh, our first full-time ministry position, I was teaching at Jackson College of Ministries. I was administrator. But circumstances, in, um, we were there five years. So the last year, uh, circumstances developed, which I realized, you know, a change is coming. But I was really concerned about my wife because she had been raised in a small church with limited opportunities. Now we are associated with a very large church. She was involved in the choir and had lots of friends as well as involved in the school. And it was such a wonderful experience for the first time in her life to be part of a, a really big thriving yeah. revival church. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I know God is leading me that there's going to be a change probably mm-hmm. in the next year, but I hate to tell my wife because yeah. this is going to really upset her. Wow. Well, there was a woman in the church who was greatly used in the gifts of spirit. And one day, she called my wife, and they prayed over the phone, and she began prophesying to her. And she basically said, a change is coming in your life. Wow. So when I talked to my wife, she says, yeah, I already knew that. Wow. <laughs> so what I thought was going to be a very right, hard right. conversation, was easy. she was ready. Wow. Now, I'll give you another example. When we So we worked six years full-time at headquarters. I was the associate editor. I worked directly under the editor-in-chief, who was a member of the general board. So when I felt led to start a church, um, I had several people say, why would you do that? Because, you know, if you just hang on a few more years, you'll be the editor-in-chief. You'll be a member of the general board. Yeah, opportunity. You know, your, your career <laughs> right, path is right, just yeah. straightforward. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew I was called to be a pastor, so that didn't bother me. What, 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 I, what did sort of bother me, so I would had 11 years of full-time ministry, well, because I taught uh, at Bible college, I'd already written some books. I had lots of opportunities to teach seminars uh, overseas in various districts. I was preaching and teaching at camp meetings and ministers' conferences. So I was heavily involved in ministerial training. So in my mind, I thought, well, when I go to start a home missions church, all that's shutting down. You know, that big that big part of my life of training and development of ministers, that's just going to go away for maybe 10 yeah. years until the church is big enough where people yeah. <laughs> will look at me again. And so I, did, I, I, wasn't, I, I didn't think I made a mistake, but I just assumed that part of my ministry is just going to be dormant. Well, as it turned out, within that first year, God sent three young men who are Bible college graduates who were looking for some avenue of ministry 
so I started ministry training within the first year. Yeah. And then, of course, as we got converts, some of them started feeling called to preach. And and then we eventually started some daughter works, and people saw that working, and they wanted to explore the possibility. So they started coming to Austin. Mm-hmm. So as it turned out, that aspect of my ministry hardly, you know, it may have slowed down for a year, but yeah. it quickly picked back up. So from... From an external point of view, it could have seemed like I'm making a career mistake or I'm shutting down a big part of my ministry, but I had the inner confidence that this is what I needed to do, yeah. and so all these those things fell into place without me having to do do them, but you know, God opened the right doors. Wow, excellent. Um, so if you could go back in time and meet with your younger self, uh, who is just starting in ministry, may, perhaps in the first in those first few months where you're beginning to uh, uh, minister in different places while you were at school in, in um, you were in school in Texas. Yes. Correct? Um, it, what are a few things that you would say to your younger self that maybe we could uh, young ministers can relate to, to prepare him uh, for what he's about to encounter in the coming years? Well, in addition to all the basics that we've just covered, probably what I would say is, when you really launch into the work of God, you're going to face some opposition. You're going to face some disappointment. Some of it's going to be external from mm-hmm. people that fight against the truth, but some of it's going to be internal. You know, brothers, even fellow ministers who, whether unintentionally or intentionally, may hurt you. And you just have to be faithful, know your sense of calling, don't retaliate in the same manner if you feel like you're mistreated don't yeah. uh or or someone's been unethical to you you cannot be unethical back you mm-hmm. have to stay the course and i've lived long enough in ministry to see where some people who bitterly oppose me or who accuse me falsely or who tried to block what i was doing it you didn't always see it in five years or 10 years yeah. but now i've had 42 years of full-time ministry i can look back in almost every case you can see either they recognized their error and made things right, or they persisted in their course of action and they suffered the consequences, in some cases lost their whole ministry. Wow. Not that I wish that on anybody, yeah, of course. but when I saw the unethical behavior, yeah. I thought, how can that be? Yeah. Um, but I've lived long enough to see it all working out. Now, I will have to say, I'm, I can't, I can't assure you that justice will be perfectly done in this life. Right. There may be some things that won't be set right until the last judgment. Yeah. But I have lived long enough to see many, many, many situations turn out uh, the way I've just described. Yeah. So I would tell the young self, don't be too discouraged with yeah. opposition. Don't be too, you know, upset over unethical behavior or people who are fighting against the truth or whatever, because in the long run, these things tend to work out. If you're just faithful, if you stay the course, if you're ethical, if you're principled, if you'll do what's right, if you'll pursue the will of God, in the long run, your ministry will prevail and accomplish what God has showed you, and those who fight against it will either fall by the wayside or be reconciled. So don't you know, don't allow yourself to get bitter, yeah. frustrated, have a forgiving spirit, even if the other person 
is not repentant, you, yeah. as far as you're concerned, I'm going to be at peace. Right. I'm not going to be a right. fighter. Right. Don't yeah. fight for your rights. Right. Don't. I mean, there's a time to stand up for yourself, but but don't get caught up in yeah. fights or contention or yes. anger or frustration or bitterness or unethical conduct. Because mm. if you'll be patient, if you'll focus on what's right, and if you'll do what's right, in the end, God will shut the wrong doors. God will open the right doors and your ministry will move forward. Right. That's really important. And I think that speaks to the young adult generation significantly. Yeah. And so a subtype of that opposition, I, maybe you can unpack a little bit more, is the young adult generation of today absolutely f- uh, is afraid of criticism. Mm, They're petrified no. of criticism. Yeah, yeah. And so, a deep part. And so and the question I want to ask is you, you answered so eloquently how to deal with with the criticizers. Okay. Yeah. But how do you deal introspectively with the criticism? Yeah. Yes. Well, here's the thing. First of all, don't be quick just to s- shut aside all criticism. You know, right. think about it, pray right. about it. Because your friends often either won't see a problem or will, don't want to tell you the problem. But your critic has no problem right. telling you what's wrong. <laughs> so even though they may have a bad spirit or bad motive, yeah. they may have a grain of truth that uh, nobody else is okay. telling you. Okay, see, that's important too. Yeah, so wow. I would say the first thing is think about it, pray about it. Yeah. Don't just resist it yeah, out of hand. Think: Could there be some validity? Right. Is there something I need to do? It's always in order to examine yourself and go to God. So don't go to your critic, go to God, listen mm-hmm. to your critic, but then ask God, Lord, is there something I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing? Or is there something I'm not doing yeah. that I should be doing? So that's always in order, either when you're not making much progress, you're, you're not achieving much success, or you feel like you're blocked, or maybe there's a critic. It's always good to go to God in prayer, but you need to hear from God. And if God shows you to change something, then change it. If God says, well, here's a valid point, acknowledge that to the critic. Don't be so um, proud that you can't admit, hey, I was wrong or yeah. I made a mistake yeah. or, or please forgive me. Yeah. But when it's all said and done, once you get assurance, then you move forward and you can't let the critic stop you. Yeah. Uh, there's a time to to draw a line where you just have to say, um, I just got to go ahead and do the will of God. I can't keep surrounding myself with someone who's negative or who's constantly right. trying to, you know, I can't keep trying to placate someone. <laughs> once I know, you know, once I've carefully considered everything and prayed about it, get direction from God, I have to move forward. Yeah. And then I can't let the naysayers stop me yeah. from doing the will of God. I've got to move from fear to faith. And that's yes. one of my main sayings. You can't live in fear. Yes. You have to move from fear to faith. I would say, as our earlier indicated, Whenever there is a critic or opposition, don't allow you, yourself to be pulled into uh, fighting on their terms. So if they mistreat you, you can't mistreat them. Mm-hmm. If they uh, say ugly things on social media, you can't, you know, say ugly Respond things back and yeah. score points. Yeah, you know, you have to take the high road. If they're unethical to you, you still have to be unethical to yeah. them. Yeah, and in the long run. Other people see that, and God will see that. It's yeah. very biblical. Yeah, yeah, very it is. Biblical. It's not always easy to do, but yeah. that's what you have to do. But there is a time to um, to set a boundary. So, so I'll give you a little illustration. So this conversation happened more than once. So here I am, a pastor. I've got this family that's disgruntled. They got problems. 
They're maybe in contention, so I'm meeting with them. I'm trying to do what I just said because they might have a valid point. You know, mm-hmm. they might be upset. They might have a bad attitude, but maybe there's something in the church that needs to be fixed. Maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's a conflict that I need to mediate, and sometimes that's the case. So I'd keep working on them, meeting them, praying with them, trying to, and they're upset and they've got a bad attitude, but I'm not trying to read the riot act and say, you're in rebellion, you're going to hell. I'm yeah. trying to salvage them because I, I respect them. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to use heavy authoritarian means to get my way. I'm trying to love them and respect them in hopes of changing them. And there have been some people I was able to change because of that, that if I'd have been harsh, even though what I said was correct, I probably would have destroyed them. But by loving them and being patient, I was able to salvage them. Anyway, there'd be times I'd I'd go home and I'd tell my wife, you know, I'm I'm meeting so and so. I'm really working on that. And she'd say, I'm praying those people out. I'd say, What? She says, I'm praying they leave. Yeah. So why would you do that? You're canceling out my prayers. Here I am yeah. praying <laughs> to, to bring them in, in. And you're praying. Yeah. To pray, Let's see who God likes more, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so she would say, they don't believe in the vision of this church. Yeah. They're not supporting your ministry. They're just standing in the way. They're just opposed. It'd be better for them to go somewhere else and the church will move forward. And many times she was exactly right. Wow. You can yeah. only go so far. Yeah. And yes, you should always respect people. You should always be kind and patient. But there comes a time where you say, you know what? This is not accomplishing any purpose. It'd be better to let them go because they're holding back the church or, or they're, they're keeping you in turmoil. You're, you're all upset, and that goes back to what you're saying. You can't allow other people to keep you all stirred up and in turmoil right. and yeah. in fear and doubt and hesitation. Once you get clear direction— there may be some friends you no longer spend a lot of time with. Right. There may be yeah. some critics you no longer listen to. Yeah. Not because you're above that, but because you've already considered that and it's time for you to move forward. And if they can't move forward with you, it's better for them to go somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Blessed are the peacemakers. Yes. That's the concept right there. Right. And I mean, that has to be a part of ministry maintenance in general, because mm. as you grow, the old saying, the bigger the ministry, the bigger the target. You probably get to a point in ministry as you grow on a on a global stage, where it's just impossible to uh, to process all Someone's the criticism. To, yeah, you can't please everyone. Yeah. That's true. You get input, and uh, you carefully consider it, and then you have to hear from God, and you have to decide. So, I mean, in in my position, uh, any major decision, I'll have people that are on all sides, right? Yeah. And so I have to listen. I have to have a good team, but at the end of the day. I just have to move forward. Right. Yeah. And many times it's a decision. Or you move, I move from fear to faith, and I choose to believe what I feel God has said, and I'll take the risk, and yeah. we'll move forward. I think that's really good how you talk about them being on all sides, but they're sincere in their point of view. Yes, and you assume that, even though at times some will have ulterior motives. But even Paul said, you know, some preach Christ out of contention and strife, but I don't care. At least Christ is preached. Right. Right. You know? Exactly, yeah. So that's kind of his philosophy. He yeah. wasn't justifying. He said, yeah. well, you know what? I can't be worried about checking out everybody's motive all the time. I just praise God. If they're preaching Christ, yeah. well, <laughs> so yeah. be it. Yeah. But I'm going to move forward that's with what really God power. has called me that's to really do. powerful. Yeah, we try to cultivate uh, here in the, in the Bible college. We have a lot of people coming here interacting with each other. And they're interacting with each other at such a, a, a green time period, such a, a time period where God's still working on their character. Um, and one thing that I tried to remind them of is respect each other, yes. reverence each other, because 
you don't want to cause contention right now that you're so young and it end up paying consequences later on in your ministries that you didn't intend for it to, to, to create. If you have aught with your brother and then they go on and God uses them mightily in one place and then God uses you mightily in another place and you still have that same perspective of them that you know was, was bred in contention, it, you know the seeds of discord were sown early in your relationships and you continue with that perspective of them later on, 10, 15, 20 years, those are consequences that didn't have to be paid uh, and things. And so I think it's really important to understand that principle as young ministers. Let's try to reconcile as much as we possibly can, you know, and I think. Well, Jesus taught us to be merciful. If, yeah. you, if you want mercy, you need to show mercy. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you judge others, you'll be judged by the same measure. So. Yeah. So um, be merciful and uh, a, a couple of other little sayings that, uh, you know, choose your battles wisely. You don't have to contend over everything. You know, some things you just let go. You let somebody else have their way. You let somebody else have their opinion. You yeah. save your battle, so to speak, for when you feel like it's really important to yeah. do so. Yeah. And another common saying is don't burn your bridges. Don't unnecessarily and that's what you were saying don't unnecessarily cut off relationships or opportunities if you don't have to yeah yeah i have somewhat of a hot button issue to ask and you can you can answer it if you if you feel comfortable okay what is your opinion on the authoritarian authoritarian style of leadership and do you think it's common or what would be your opinion to that pastoral approach? Well, first of all, I'll just refer you. I've written a book called Spiritual Leadership in the 21st Century, and so I go into great detail what I think. I do believe that God gives spiritual leaders authority. For example, we believe in pastoral authority. So nothing I say is meant to take away from that. But you use the word authoritarian. Right. So I don't like the authoritarian style of leadership. I don't think it's truly biblical, and I think in our culture, it's not as effective as it was. So mm. here's the example I use. Let's say, let's look at the Pentecostal movement. Fifty years ago, most churches were small, uh, and I'm I'm using generalizations, but the average church member might be working class. Uh, the pastor, if you went to Bible college, might have more um, education than anybody else in the church. The pastor, if he traveled to general conference or to other meetings, he might have traveled more than anybody else in the church. So, and there, and in society, there was a high respect for people in authority, government officials, doctors, lawyers, pastors, educators. There was that feeling of authority. So in many cases, a pastor could teach scripture, but in addition, because he was the pastor, he just naturally had that authority. He right. was more educated. Yeah. He was more experienced. Right. He was more knowledgeable in things of life. And so people would come, should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? Right. Who should I marry? And, and even smaller yeah. things. Right. And it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, yeah. but he was kind of like a father figure. Even mm. in the community. In the right. community, that's, yes. That's very good. But point. now that's not true today. Not yeah. even close. Right. So the West Coast. sometimes <laughs> people in the church are more educated than the pastor. They're yeah. in professional careers. They might be a manager over 100 people. They might get on the job training every year, and they, they have more management skills. Yeah. Um, then the pastor maybe they may have traveled across the world and and so you're not you it's not the same uh, dynamic yeah but I still think the pastor has authority yeah right? but it's a very different context oh, okay. that it's not just well I'm the pastor 
do what I say. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that people are rebellious, but they're just wondering, well, what is your basis for yeah. what you say? But I, before I follow blindly, I need to evaluate your, what your basis is. Yeah. And, and, of course, society, we're actually trained in our culture and our education system to disrespect authority, challenge authority. Right, right. And I'm not saying that's yeah. always good. It's but not. But it's the cultural no. context. But it's what we're living in. Right. right. So I would say biblically, I think authoritarianism is a step too far. Too far. But pragmatically, even if it did work effectively 50 years ago, right. in our day and time and culture, it's counterproductive. Yeah. Right. And wow. so we have to adjust. Mm. So here's what I say. Our authority is based on the word. So when I preach the word, teach the word, I have authority. When I counsel someone according to the word, I have authority. So if a couple is wanting to get married, one's in church, one's not, I can say, you know, that's against God's word. Don't do that. If you do that, you'll violate God's word and have devastating consequences. Mm -hmm. Now, even there, I'm not going to say, you know, if you do this, you're rebellious, you're backslidden, you're going to hell. Right. Because if I do that, they go somewhere else, get married. And then when they have problems, they're not going to come to me. You lost your influence. Yeah. But, but if I say, I, I'm advising you not to do this, I think they're going against pastoral authority. But if they do it anyway, six months later, they're in trouble. You pick Guess up where the, they're going to go. They're the going to come pieces. back to me. Yeah. Okay. But let's say it's a couple that I just don't think is ready. Well, of course, I, I did premarital counseling. I gave them stuff to read. I talked about finances. And at the end of the day, if they're bound and determined, I could give my advice but if it's not a biblical issue, I can't say they're in rebellion going to hell. Uh, I'm just giving my advice. But I'm not going to tell them who they have to marry or who they better not marry because I don't want that responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, I want them to re assume responsibility for their, their, their own marriage. Now, if they want advice of a job or, or a house, I might give them some ideas. And if there's some spiritual issues involved, I'll tell them. But at the end of the day, I don't want to make those decisions for yeah. them, just like my adult kids, I want them to come whenever there's a major life decision. I want them to come counsel with me, but they might take it and they might not. And yeah. that's okay. They're adults. I don't want to pay their bills. You know, I don't want to, uh, you know, pay their house note. Right, I right. want them to pay their house right. note. So they got to make the decision. So the authority is based on the word. Our power is based on the spirit. So through the power of the spirit, we can, lead people and convince people but we shouldn't try to manipulate or coerce yeah. or use psychological techniques um, and in all cases we respect people even uh, when they make bad decisions we love them we respect them they have questions we answer sincerely um, so i do think and and i believe i have plenty of scripture for this but first peter chapter five tells the elders who are bishops and shepherds yeah. pastors don't be lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. So you lead by example. You lead by service. Um, and if someone is constantly in whatever position, if they're constantly having to remind people, well, I'm the leader, you know, well, I'm the pastor, or the pastor appointed me to this position to do yeah, what I say, yeah. even though they may actually have authority on paper or in the church or even God has given them authority, if they're constantly having to remind people and rely on that, that's a good um, sign that maybe they don't have the influence yeah. because at the bottom line, you can have, you can have authority on paper, but in the real world, your leadership is exercised by influence. Yeah. So when you serve people, when you love people, when you pray for people, when you help people in time of need, you build influence. 
And so out of that influence, they're going to follow your leadership, not because of your position, but because of your influence. Wow. Yeah, in, and uh, a lot of that you've a lot of what you have said is just absolute gold. And, and I'm thinking back to what you said about the difference in generation, the differences that one generation needed over uh, uh, compared to this generation. It, I'm reminded by the voices of young adults who say, "Why is the the generation above us or?" In, the older generation of Pentecostal leaders, why are they so strong? Why do they speak so so harshly, or authoritatively? And uh, this actually, I've never heard it described like that, uh, that their part, they began ministry many times in contexts where the congregation didn't know what to do. Yeah. And, and they didn't know how to handle their finances. They didn't know what was the right. They came from cultural communities that had bad uh, life habits, you know, just to say a general term, they had bad life habits. Uh, and, and there a pastor needs to be a mentor, not just in doctrinal things and what to believe in the Bible, but in practical life, they have to be that guidance. And, and I guess my, my heart is to speak to young adults to encourage them to be patient with things that sometimes they feel is too strong it's said too strong the decision is made too strongly i think young ministers need to have patience and still see them as fathers even in those in those yes moments. absolutely so again let me try to bring give you a balance here mm-hmm. i certainly believe there's a real and genuine pastoral authority mm-hmm. and spiritual authority uh, but i also believe it's best used by example and by service yeah so I give you First Peter 5, also Matthew 20, 25 through 28. Jesus said, those who are leaders among you, let them be the servants. Yeah. The chief among you, let them be your slave. Mm-hmm. So when people, even if they think you're too strict or too harsh, or maybe you're the previous generation, they have a hard time relating, if they know you love them, if you yeah. care for them, if you pray for them, if you serve them, yeah. if you're helping their family, even when it's inconvenient, then you're building a relationship and you're building influence where they will gladly follow you because they trust your motive and they trust your heart. So to the older generation, I would say, whatever is scriptural, stand by that. Yeah. You do have authority. Right. Yeah. But also allow some Christian liberty. Also allow some different opinions and choices. And even when you exercise your God-given scriptural authority, do so in a way that is going to be effective to the generation. Yeah. So they need to know that you love them. They need to see you serving them. They need to see your example. And even though you may say, well, I'm a senior leader, they should trust me. But in our generation, you're almost trained not to trust. And people's life experiences are such that people they trusted often failed them. Yeah. So understand that and say, What's going to be not just what do I have authority to say and do, mm-hmm. but what's going to be most effective yes. when I do say and do it. Right. And to the younger generation, I would say, look, respect your elders, even if Amen. you don't always agree or you don't always agree with the method. Still, God can use them. Nobody's yeah. perfect. Yeah. But if God has placed a leader in, in your life and you know they truly love God, they truly love you, they're trying to do what's right then you really should carefully heed what yeah. they have to say because yeah. they're like your father in the gospel. Yeah. And uh, 
But at the same time, I think all of us need this mutual respect. So even yeah. if you're a senior leader or an elder in, in age, uh, still we have to have mutual respect. And mm-hmm. sometimes when I'm teaching leaders, you know, the golden rule, Matthew seven twelve, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Some leaders are so hard and so strict and so authoritative, they would not sit under themselves. Right. Wow. So I simply say, don't be the kind of leader you would not follow, uh, yeah. but be the kind of leader you would like to follow. Yeah. That's very wow. important. Wow. And I think we speak to the younger generation, not necessarily we're critiquing an older generation, no, right? No. as much as this is, and you, you alluded to this earlier, this is where um, respect for eldership and nostalgia can get blurred a little bit mm. to where we become a bit nostalgic, not on the spirit that they had, not that the message they preached, but the style in which they did it. And there's a young generation of evangelists, a very young, I'm, I'm talking early 20s, who uh, maybe take part of that nostalgia. And it's not necessarily about maintaining the spirit of the elders or the message of the elders, mm-hmm. which I think across the board, everyone at this table believes we should have. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they try to adopt their methods and there's the heavy-handed, beating yeah. over the head right. kind well, of style. Well, uh, let me give you a couple points there. First of all, I would take it more from an elder, from a young guy, because the elder has the years yeah. of credibility, of course, the life experience, the service, the faithfulness, the example, the love, and digging it out. Whereas a younger person doesn't have that, so you don't right. you don't have that same authority because you don't have that same influence. Second thing, I would give you this concept: we need to think of ourselves as missionaries to our culture. Mm. Okay, so if I said you're appointed as a missionary to China, you would probably know when I go over there. I either need to learn Chinese or I need to uh, get a translator. I can't just preach in English. Uh, if you if you announced a potluck dinner, you would probably not expect Mexican food. Um, if you dressed for church, it probably would be more, or at least if they dressed for church. Obviously, we still teach modesty and gender distinction, anything biblical, but you would not expect them to dress maybe like you'd expect someone to dress Sunday right. morning here. Yeah. You know that because mm-hmm. it's another culture. Yeah. You have to adapt. You have to adapt your methods to that culture. Mm. Well, face it. If you're raised Pentecostal, you are ministering to a different culture. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's not about what's comfortable for me. Right. It's not about what I'm used to. It's not about my tradition. It's about how do I reach this yeah. generation with the gospel in a way that's effective? How do I communicate in a way they will listen long enough yeah. for me to convince them of the truth of the gospel? And so in many ways, we are dealing with a culture that doesn't know about the Bible, doesn't know about spiritual authority. So I'm not negating any true spiritual authority. I'm just saying you have to act like a missionary uh, to to this generation yeah. and say, okay, I have to adapt myself to them. I'm not talking about compromising our doctrine or our conviction, but just being willing to adapt our methods. Yes. What's going to work to bring them in conversation long enough that the word and the spirit can work. Right. Because if my comments just repel them, mm. you know, they will never have a chance to be saved. Now, if they're offended by the gospel, I can't apologize right. yeah. for that. Right. right. You know, if I preach all of sin and come short of the glory of God and Jesus is your only savior, if they get offended by that, well, that's, what their, problem. that's yeah. their problem. But if they get offended because of my presentation, mm-hmm is a stumbling block so they won't even listen to the Lord or they won't get in, into a place where they can be open to feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, and that's my fault. I've yeah. got to be willing to yeah. adapt 
in a way to reach this yeah. generation. Yeah. And, you know, we, we had a podcast where we talked about that dynamic. We are entering into a post-Christian world. If not, we're already there. We're there. People do not have the background of what was, what, what, what did you do in class? I remember you said like a, something happened in class where you asked them about a story. If they all knew the story of David. Oh, I was, te- yeah, I was teaching a Bible study. This was in Bible college, right? This is for Bible college students or was it in a general Bible? study? I, I think it's, I think you're maybe fusing two stories together, okay, but okay, I remember there was a, a family that came to our church for like a period of three years and I was teaching them a certain, they, they sat in the balcony, never got involved, didn't have the Holy ghost, but, they were coming to church faithfully for three years. I finally got a hold of them, started teaching them the church for truth. And we got to the lesson about Joseph. And I remember I was doing all this study about the, you know, the, the Christology parallels between Joseph and, and all these things. And I was getting ready to really lay a Bible study on him. You know, I was really excited to share all my deep theology. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was in my early twenties. And, and I remember introducing the Bible study with you. You guys know the story of Joseph, right? And they all look at each other and they're like, Oh no, we, we don't know that one. Never heard you know? of Joseph. Who's and Joseph? They've been in church for three years yeah, and wow. um, had never heard the story of Joseph. And so if we don't have that presupposition and brother Bernard, I, mean, I think you could speak to this better than anybody. This yeah. is kind of our opinion on it is the previous generation had to take a generation of Baptists and Presbyterians yeah. and people that were right. on Sunday school buses. Yes. And yeah. You had to take them from a baseline level of justification by faith and bring them to the new birth message. Well, now we're bringing people from, is the Bible the word of God? Yeah. Yes. Who was Jesus Christ? Right. So we do have to adapt our approach uh, in our preaching, our teaching. Um, You know, as sometimes preachers have said, there are no good sinners anymore. Mm. Used to, you could get a good Baptist. They already believed in tithing. They just need the Holy Ghost. You had some good, faithful Catholics. They they respected ministry. Mm-hmm. They were going to be at church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just needed to get them baptized in yeah. Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. But that's rare today. Yeah. And I see this even teaching in, in Urshan College. We have a group of young people yeah. that they love God. They yeah. want truth. But what we think of as a typical Pentecostal, right. maybe half of them were, were not raised in a two-parent home that was Pentecostal. Right. You know, they might have been in a broken home or... Their first generation, their parents aren't even going to church or not faithful. And so when half of your uh, student body was not raised yeah. in a traditional Pentecostal background, you can't assume very much. Yeah. So you have to start with at a very basic level yeah. in some things that you would maybe seem to take for granted. I've actually written a book called Anchor Points, which is apologetic. So it, it, tri- it describes our basic beliefs, but from the point of view why should I believe in God? Why is that the most reasonable thing? Yeah. Why can we have confidence the Bible is true? And then once we do that, then we can talk about doctrine. But I talk about things like creation versus evolution or our theory of knowledge, how, our epistemology. How do you know what you know? How do you know it's yeah. true? Yeah. I talk about a biblical approach to human sexuality. Why, not only from a biblical point of view, but sociological, psychological biological point of view why does god's plan make the most sense for humans so i think we have to start talking in those ways in our preaching and teaching even in our preaching we could just weave in a few things assuming that our audience a good chunk of them does not really know the word of god does not know the bible stories and has questions that we take for granted but we've got to answer their questions 
Yeah, you know, it, you talked about Urshan College. Uh, the same dynamic here at, sure. at Christian Life College. Many students uh, with their first generational apostolics through and through. And we know we say everyone's first generational, of course. They have to have their own experience. But we're talking about these are the first people in their family. They don't have a father or a mother that they can call home to and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm discouraged. Can you pray for me? Uh, you know, they're... And there's a ministry that we're, that uh, is in its infancy stage that a student is is starting. It's called Forerunners, specifically geared for apostolics who have no family that is in the faith. Uh, you know, we're first in a time gen- period first generation. We, first generation. Yes. Uh, they have special needs that the church needs to uh, the church it needs to take a role in discipling those kinds of hearts and those kinds of minds really cultivating their faith and that's a great challenge but it's also a great opportunity to yeah. take first generation people yeah. and help them become effective ministers of jesus christ mm. um let's let's go into a, a, the final question here and um it, it, in uh second timothy 4 6 paul states for i am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand uh, in many ways, the book of Second Timothy can be seen as a final commission that Paul is giving to Timothy in preparation for Paul's coming death. Uh, what would you say if you were in a similar position as Paul and you had one last moment to commission this young group of ministers before leaving this life? What would be your final charge for them? Well, you know, I can't really improve on the Apostle Paul. Right. <laughs> so all that he said... Um, but if I would just say in my own words, I would say it boils down to two things, love God and love people. Mm. So make sure you keep your relationship with God through personal prayer, personal devotion, study of the word, know what you believe, stand for what you believe, love the truth. So, of course, that's first and foremost, Jesus Christ. Truth is a person, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But you also have to know the basics of God's word, the basics of the gospel, the plan of salvation, Christian life. Love that. Stand for that. Don't compromise that. Yeah. And then the second was love people. We've already talked about this, but never become cynical or bitter. And if you're getting that way, you've got to pray until God washes you from that. Uh, some people, you know, uh, as I sometimes say, pastoring is a great job if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> Um, sometimes people can discourage you, but you have to renew your love for people. Yeah. And I would also say your family. If you're married, uh, if you have children, you've got to prioritize those relationships. Past generations sometimes said, well, God first, church second, family third. I don't agree with that. Obviously, God is first in the sense if your family tries to get you not to serve God, you still serve God. But I really feel for a Christian family that uh, your ministry to your spouse and to your children, that's part of serving God. So don't put that in opposition. Um, And there will be a way to do effective ministry while ministering to your family. So if it's one extra Bible study versus time with your family, maybe maybe time with your family is more than teaching, more important than that one extra Bible study. Don't. Don't automatically say, well, that's church work, so that's more important than family work. Not yeah. so. Family work is part of ministry. So I would say in loving people, in loving pursuing your ministry, don't forget the people that are closest to you. 
So I do think when you come to the moment of death, you won't really think, I should have spent a few more hours in the office, or even I should have taught one more Bible study, or I should have preached one more sermon. Man, if I had one more opportunity to do it, be a guest preacher, oh my. preach one more camp. Yeah. But I don't think that will be what you'll say, but you'll say, I, I want more time with my family. And so make sure you don't wait to get yeah, to that, that point, point to say, I should right. have had more time with my That's family. So good, I right. want you to feel like, hey, I have a good relationship. And you can't guarantee your your family members always live for God. But as far as you're able, you can say, I did what I needed to do. I made sure my relationships were intact. So mm-hmm. I think that's what I would say. Love God, love people, and make sure your family is a priority. Thank you, yeah, Brother Bernard. Thank you uh, for your time. Uh, thank you for sharing all that wisdom with us. And I know we are going, uh, I know our listeners are going to be very blessed by it. Amen. Amen. F- final question. What was your favorite book to write? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's hard to say because it's the one, whatever one I feel in the moment, I would say probably the oneness of God Yeah, that's my favorite <laughs> yeah. has been that's the most classic. productive. Uh, but my last one anchor points is the one I enjoyed mo- most recently because I'm trying to break new territory of apologetics, which it. we really haven't done much before. Okay.